tonight we're uh, going to be thinking about wisdom, surprise, surprise, from the uh, passage we've just had read. And for Christmas, my mother-in-law likes to buy me a, a, a host of silly books. I've had um, knitting toilet roll holders and composting for beginners. And this was uh, last year's great one, The World's Stupidest Instructions. And believe me, there are some stupid ones. Let me indulge you in a few. On a a packaging for an electric drill made specifically for carpenters, the instruction said, this product is not intended for use as a dentist drill. Can you imagine? On a a medicine bottle in Japan, it said, take two tablets until passing away. (laughs) Or on a, a 22 caliber rifle, the instructions went, warning, misuse may lead to injury or death. Or a microwave said, do not use for drying pets. I'm sure somebody's tried. Must be on there for a reason. On a blender, do not insert fingers. On a child's high chair, it says, remove child before storing. (laughs) You just imagine it. And this was my favourite one uh, from the book. It was on a railway station sign in America, and it said, beware, to touch wires is instant death. Anyone round doing anyone caught doing so will be prosecuted. <laughs> you think, who writes these things? The instructions are silly, they make us laugh, but they must be there for a reason. I think somebody did try drying their cat in a microwave at some point. That is the only reason that is on that instruction. We live in a, a funny world where more and more people are going to university and our education levels are getting higher. And yet we've seen a rise of those dummy books. Have you seen them? Dummies. And uh, I think the only reason I passed my uh, philosophy exam was because I read uh, philosophy for dummies. But there's a whole host of other things. There's cocktail parties for dummies, sex for dummies. These books have been hugely influential on a lot of people's lives. They've sold billions and billions People are looking for wisdom. People are looking for guidance. I don't know about you and me, I'm looking for guidance in my life. And tonight we're going to be thinking a little bit about God's wisdom for us. Because as Christians, as we've just sung, we're seeking to live wise lives based on God alone. Not based on what the book for dummies of Christianity, which there is one, says or what our world is saying, or what our friends are saying, or what the newspapers are saying. We're seeking to live only on the wisdom that God gives. And so we're going to be diving a lot into Proverbs tonight. You might find it useful to have it open. Uh, We're going to be flicking through. I'm hoping you've got a favourite proverb. You'll hear a few of mine along the way. But we're going to be thinking about what God's wisdom has to say to us tonight. So as we uh, begin to dive into Proverbs, what on earth is wisdom? Bill Hybels, in a great book called Making Life Work, says this, Wisdom takes ageless, princeless wisdom of God himself and makes it understandable and accessible to ordinary people like you and me. That's what wisdom is. It's uh, understandable and accessible knowledge. What do you think wisdom is? What do you think wisdom is? Well, if you turn to Proverbs 1, it's very, very clear. It starts by telling us that wisdom is understanding words of insight. That's right there in verse 2. Understanding words of insight. 
Or the next one, this was also in the passage Chris read to us so well. Doing what is right, just and fair. That's what Solomon asked God for. He said, help me choose what is right and just so I may rule. And we have that example that Chris read to us of uh, that wisdom being put into practice. I wonder what you would have done in that situation. Interesting one. I don't know. But the uh, next thing that uh, Proverbs 1 tells us wisdom is it's knowledge. It's knowing things. It's information. It's knowing. But also it's understanding. It's understanding situations, understanding which way we should go, understanding how to live a life that honours God. So right at the beginning of Proverbs, helpfully, we have a little definition. It's all about words of insight, knowing what's right and wrong, having knowledge and understanding about which way to go, how to live a life of God. But David Hubbard, I don't know if you can see this, or you should be able to, uh, in his uh, commentary on Proverbs says, wisdom is what radiates out from our adoration and devotion to our everyday conduct that sees each moment as the Lord's time, each relationship as the Lord's opportunity, each duty as the Lord's command, and every blessing as the Lord's gift. It is a new way of looking at life and seeing what it's meant to be when viewed from God's perspective. What a lovely way of putting what wisdom is. It's about seeing every, every moment of life as an opportunity to act wisely and justly and to walk as God wants us to walk, viewing things from his perspective. It all sounds quite good to me, but it also sounds like a big challenge. It sounds like a huge challenge. So how on earth do we get this wisdom? Well, we've heard already how Solomon gained wisdom. We've already sung about who is the wise one in this universe. Immortal, invisible. God only wise. God only wise. So how do we get wise? Well, we do as Solomon did. We know God. We know who he is. We recognize him as Lord, as Savior, as the one who created the universe. Our our opening worship reflected some of that. To know that God is the only one who knows everything in the universe. He's the only one who has all knowledge, all understanding. He is the only one with the true wisdom. And so how should we get wise? How can we find out what wisdom really is? By knowing God, very simply, and then as Solomon did, from, uh, for asking for that wisdom. Please, God, I need to know, or please, God, I need your help, or please, God, I need to be wise in this. This is what it said, uh, we read it. This is what God uh, says to Solomon. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. Solomon asked, God gave. That simple. That simple. Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, uh, refers to this in his uh, book in chapter 2. He says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from him, from his mouth, sorry, comes knowledge and understanding. Only God can give us that godly wisdom. So we need to know him. We need to ask for wisdom. We need to seek for him. And as we do, we put God at the centre, and he recognises that we're seeking him for what he wants us to do. But what about the effects of wisdom? Well, you can read this for yourself in the first uh, nine chapters of Proverbs. 
But just a few things to draw out. If you read chapter 3, for example, acting wisely honours God. 3 verse is 3 to 4. Read it. Love it. Acting wisely is acting in love and out of faithfulness for God. And as you do, it wins favour with God. We're not talking about brownie points in that kind of favour. We're talking about a good uh, relationship with God. So as we act wisely, we are honouring the God of wisdom. But also it goes on to say that uh, in this uh, first nine chapters, that as we live a life of wisdom, God will help us to keep our path straight. We're going to look at that a little bit later, so I'm not going to say any more. But just to begin, I want you to talk to each other. What is your favourite proverb? What is your favourite proverb? Just have a minute with the person next to you. Share which is your favourite proverb, just together. Okay, just another 30 seconds. Going to tell me any? Anyone want to call them out? Margaret. How many people had that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Quite a few people. We're going to talk about that verse especially later because I think, actually, that's probably one of the most well-known proverbs and one that most of us would say, yep, that's up there. What about some others? Anyone else have a different one? Do you want to say yours? Proverbs 16.31. Read it to us. Grey hair is a crown of splendour and it attains to a righteous life. I think there's probably a few of us who agree with that too. Can I show you some of mine? And they're silly ones on the whole. He who winks maliciously causes grief and a chattering fool comes ruin. Who winks maliciously? I think that's lovely. Or better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf where there is hatred. Isn't that lovely? Or, many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. (laughs) Isn't that marvellous? You see, this man's wise. There's a few more. These are two that I use with the young people quite a bit. Uh, Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I I, I insulted the men, so I thought I'd put one for the women. And then this is one I use a lot. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you will vomit. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? Isn't that absolutely brilliant? I replaced the word honey with chocolate just to remind myself that, you know, God's word is for always, not just for the time it was written. But there's some lovely, lovely treasures in this book. And if you've never read it, I encourage you to dive deeply into it. There's some lovely moments, as we've seen just a few here. But there are some great nuggets of truth. And one of the things I encourage uh, the young people I work with uh, when we're talking about the Bible is to read one a day and to read one and you just kind of have it there in your mind throughout the day. It'll take you forever to get to the end of the book, but one a day actually it's like an apple. Keeps the doctor away, definitely. 
There are many things, uh, many themes, many uh, ideas that come out through Proverbs. And we could draw on a whole host of themes tonight. But I'm just going to look at a couple that we find here in Proverbs uh, that I think probably are applicable to all of us. Uh, You'll see that they were applicable to me this week, so that's why one of them is in here. But we're going to just pick out a few themes and just have some fun reading this great book together. And the first theme we're going to look at is about speaking truth and watching your tongue. Something that perhaps all of us have got something to comment on. Can you remember the first time you ever lied? I'm sure we were a little bit shorter than we all are tonight. Or can you think of the first time you were betrayed by someone else, probably in the playground, I should imagine? I'm sure there's a number of times uh, since then when this has happened. It's horrible when someone lies to you and you find out the truth. It leaves you feeling betrayed or hurt or broken. Some betrayals and lies can affect us very deeply, but they can also affect all those that are around us. Even, excuse me, the smallest of lies can often break trust. And God doesn't like lying either, we know that. And so there's quite a few things in Proverbs that have to say about watching our tongue. 6 verse 12, for example calls somebody who is a liar, a scoundrel and a villain. Wow, that's harsh. Or later on, the tongue that brings healing is like a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. How true is that statement? You've known times probably in your own lives where a word of encouragement or hope has brought healing to your soul. But also we know times when A deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, has completely crushed us where we have felt betrayed. I'm sure Solomon knew that, which is why he has written so much about it. But one of my other favourite proverbs says this. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. And if that's not an encouragement to us as the people of God to live lives where truth reigns, where we always speak the truth, then I don't know what is. We all like receiving a kiss. Well, let's use our mouths to be honest, to be truthful. Let's use our mouths to speak only of God's goodness and of the truth that we are living. But Proverbs also talks about anger. And this certainly has not been helpful for me this week at all. I was writing this sermon on on Thursday. And I was uh, waiting at Richard's mum and dad's new house, they're moving to Ipswich, and I was waiting for a bed to arrive. And uh, so I was there writing away, uh, reading Proverbs very happily, and the bed uh, arrived, they're on the top floor of a, a, a flat block, and uh, they, the guys arrived with the bed, and within two minutes said, uh, we can't get the bed up the stairs, or the lift. Now, I knew they could, but they weren't saying they could. And my anger was rising and rising and rising. And they just were driving off saying, bye, see you. I was getting a little bit angry. And I came up the stairs and uh, I phoned the shop. And I have to say, I wasn't particularly calm because I'd been waiting around all day for this bed and they'd mucked me around and then they couldn't get a bed up the stairs. And yeah, I was actually quite cross. I sat down after that phone call to write my sermon again, and God helpfully led me to this verse. A fool gives vent to his anger, but the wise man keeps himself under control. 
God's so annoying sometimes. He's got a sense of humour, that's for sure. I knew I should have not vented my anger. I did not need reminding, thank you, God. But actually, I knew in that moment I was a fool. And my wise words could have, could have brought healing rather than just probably hacking off this particular bed shop. I was a spewer at that moment. I liked to make people know that I was angry. I'm sure some of you are the opposite, though. If something happens to you, instead of getting angry, you bottle it up. You're a bottler. So instead of letting it out like me, you're not a spewer, you're a bottle-upper. But you're still angry. You're just keeping it inside. But the reality is, either way, it's not particularly great. The root of it is we are angry. And Proverbs reminds us again and again that anger isn't the wise reaction and certainly isn't an attractive quality in someone. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a hard word stirs up anger. Or in uh, 22 verse 24, it's not on the screen, but it says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. It doesn't mention women, so we're okay. <laughs> anger, using our tongue wisely, there's something that God wants us to learn from him about. He has wise things to say on this, and he wants to help us. He wants to help us deal with our anger more productively, more in a wise manner. And there's so much in Proverbs about this. If this is something that you think you need to have God's wisdom on, then read it, because there's loads of verses in here about how God wants to use our tongue for good and not for lies, not for anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a hard word stirs up anger. The second theme I want to look at, though, is about choosing our friends. I wonder who are the uh, VIPs in your life, the very important people. I'm sure they're not celebrities. I'm sure they're people who you know very well. Who are those people that you have a really deep friendship with? And over the years, it's become more and more important. It's almost like your life is intertwined somehow with them. These are your closest friends. Praise God for VIPs, I say. And Proverbs has some lovely things to say about friendship. But it also has a load of things to tell us about how we should choose our friends. For example, in uh, Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, it says, There are six things the Lord hates and seven things that are detestable to him. Work that out. Only God's wisdom will. It says that haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick and to rush to evil, and a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers are all things that aren't attractive qualities in a friend. It's saying when you're looking for friends or when you're thinking about the kind of friend you are, if any of those things are in you, you need to bring them to God. The message is very clear. Make sure you're the best friend you can possibly be by dealing with these things before God, but also look for VIPs in your life who have not got a lying tongue, who do not seek evil, but who long for goodness and grace and wisdom. There's a few more verses we'll look at in a minute. 
But we've all got a lot of friends, and I'm sure we're sat there thinking, okay, there's some of those things that I know some of my friends are. Maybe they haven't always been truthful to me. But I think God asks for those very important people in our lives, the ones that we know really well. There might only be one or two people out there like this. And saying, actually, these are the kind of friends that will build you up. These are the kind of friends that will encourage you. These are the kind of friends that will uh, speak to you and will be able to pray for you. Don't look for these other things in friendships because they will hurt you and destroy you. Choose VIP friends who will be wise too. 13 verses 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise but a companion of fool suffers harm. Choose friends who are wise too, those very important people. Find people in your lives who, when you're confused and not sure which way to turn, when there's a job interview or when there's something going on in your life that you need wisdom on, who you can go to and say, will you pray with me? I need God's wisdom. Or what do you think? And you know that you're going to trust their judgment. Look for friends who are wise But also, Proverbs says, look for friends who love you through the good and the bad. 17 verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Choose your friends wisely. Look for those that are wise too. Only let those into the real intertwined parts of your life who are going to love you through the good and the bad. But also, there's a challenge there for each of us. What kind of friend am I? What kind of friend are you? Do you seek God's wisdom? Do you love them when things aren't so hard? Are you the one on the doorstep saying, cup of tea, or can I do anything? What kind of friend are you, and how do you choose your friends? Some wisdom from Proverbs on this. Simon, uh, this morning, talked about Jesus being our our defender. And uh, this next section kind of links a little bit into that because Proverbs has a lot to say about loving the poor and the marginalised. How do we love them wisely? If you were here last Sunday, you heard Simon Barrington and Alan Cutting reminding us once again about who the poor are, who the marginalised are in our world today. And as in Solomon's day, there are still those without food And yet there are still those who throw food away like it means nothing. As in Solomon's day, we live in a world where the rich are getting richer, the poor only poorer. As in Solomon's day, we live in a world where children and women are abused, mistreated, beaten, even sold. God's wisdom to Solomon still applies to us today, especially in this area. Maybe you just want to close your eyes for a moment as we hear some of the verses that are spoken here about the oppressed and the poor. He who oppresses the poor show contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Blessed is he who is kind to the needy, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. What incredible verses. 
My question is, what wise decisions are you going to make this week that can help you live like the wise woman right at the end of Proverbs? And it says in 31 verse 20, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. Are you going to buy those fair trade bananas this week so that those growers receive a fair wage? Are you going to seek out to buy ethically traded clothes so that you know a small child didn't lose their fingers whilst making your top? Will you walk in a couple of weeks for the turn on the tap walk so that people in Africa can have clean water? Will you pray for the famine in Ethiopia that hit our news this week and maybe donate some money so a child can be fed. Proverbs, again, speaks wisdom into how we love the poor and the marginalised. What wise decisions will you make this week so that you can live and make our world a slightly fairer place? Let's stop for a moment. I'm just going to pray. Father, we've learned that already in this talk about a... a using our tongue and our mouths uh, only for good and not for anger. We've learned about how we can be friends to those and how we can choose our friends wisely. But Lord, this decision uh, could make a big difference to others in our world. And like Solomon, we live in a world where uh, there is very little justice, where there is famine, where there is a shortage of food, where there is unfairness uh, with our trade and with our ethical choices. Father God, help us this week to make wise decisions so that we can play our part in making this world a fairer place. And Lord, we lift to you uh, some of those places that come to mind at the moment. Ethiopia, as we've seen on our screen, so many children not being sustained by food. We think of those decisions uh, that, play, that people like Samaritan's Purse have to make when uh, something like an earthquake hits. We think of other agencies around the world trying to make a difference. And Lord, we lift these places to you and these people working for you to you. We seek for your world to be based on your wisdom, your justice. And we long for a place where your peace reigns and that every child is fed. Make us wise, O Lord. Make us wise in our prayer. Make us wise in our action. For your glory. Amen. And finally, we're going to look at that passage that you all, uh, I think, love. And we all love. Trust in the Lord with all, oh, with all your herd. Then you've got a herd. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Unsurprisingly, it's uh, one of those verses that we probably had to memorise or uh, know very well. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. We've already said that God's wisdom is far above anything we will ever understand. Only he knows But one thing we do know is that because he knows, he can be trusted. He loves us and ultimately he has our good at heart. Can you think of a moment in your past where God has proven himself trustworthy? 
Can you think of a time when he's ever broken one of his promises? Where he's ever stopped loving you? Where he's not been there for you? Where he's not forgiven you? I can't. This is a wise saying because it's calling us to trust in God. And a proverb that isn't in Proverbs says, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. As we trust God a little, as we trust God a little, he proves himself to be trustworthy. As we trust him with more and more areas of our life, he shows us that he's big enough and faithful enough to be trusted with more of our lives. Saying that we trust God is an easy thing to do. We could probably reel this verse off very easily. But it can be hard. It's hard when we're broke and we don't know whether we can meet our next mortgage repayment. It's hard when something's not right with our kids and we don't know what to do. It's hard when we're facing an exam or sickness and we're not sure how it's going to end. Trusting God can be hard, but as we do, he proves himself to be a trustworthy friend. And the more you trust, with, trust him, the more he proves his trustworthiness. Isn't that amazing? But the next bit of the passage, I think is quite reassuring, actually. Lean not on your own understanding. Hmm. He's as wise. And therefore, he's saying, trust me, don't lean on, my, on your own understanding, your ways of doing it. I wish I had this story to tell, but this is Bill Hybels. Not long ago, I was helping to fly a plane on a night trip back to Chicago, as you do. When the pilot in command was busy entering data into the computer, I did the takeoff and the climb, and then kept us straight and level on the course. All was going well until we entered a very thick layer of clouds. Having no reference point outside the plane, I calmly focused on the instrument on the panel and made whatever corrections that were called for. But several minutes after entering the soup, the ins instruments called for me to make a correction that seemed to be wrong. They indicated that we were slowly banking to the left. I knew, however, that I'd not altered the controls even slightly and I was confident that there'd be no wind changes or turbulence of any kind. So I sat there and said to myself, there's no way we can be banking to the left. And I did not make the corrections called by the instruments. My rationale was simple. I'd been flying since I was 15 years old. Ordinary planes, seaplanes, single-engine planes, multi-engine planes, turboprops, jets, even helicopters, without a simple, single mishap or close call. I assumed that since I'd done so much flying and I had maintained such a good record, I obviously had developed a dependable sense of intuition. So on that particular night, I made the deliberate choice to trust my own intuition rather than the instruments on the panel. I said, I know better. It comes down to the choice between the instruments or my own intuition. I'm going to trust my intuition. You know what's coming. It was a bad choice. Fortunately, the pilot looked up from the charts, looked at the instruments, grabbed the controls and made the immediate correction. He gave me a sidelong glance that seemed to be asking, are you crazy? Then he gave me a wry smile, pointed to the instruments and said, believe these things and we'll both live longer. For the rest of the flight, I kept my eyes glued on those instruments. And you can be sure that I made every slight correction that was called for. Lean not 
on your own understanding. It doesn't how many degrees you have, how much you know. You need to bring these things to God. And if he says, go with it, then go with it. Lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes human judgment can be wrong. It's definitely limited. And when it comes to the big decisions in our lives, we always need deeper insights. We always need a broader perspective. The mere human wisdom can offer us. We need God's mind on serious matters. And that's what it goes on to say. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. If you had a piece of paper, I'd say underline all, everything, the lot. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And we've looked at a handful of areas tonight that Proverbs uh, talks about. But there's only a few. This verse is saying, in all of your ways, in everything. And in this little book, there's wisdom on parenting, discipline, food, sex, adultery, wives, husbands, parents, health, money, quarrels, you name it, and you will find it. In the Bible as a whole, there is so much wisdom in there on how we live a life that is honouring to God and acknowledging him in all of our ways. And the promise at the end reminds us that it's all worth it. He will make your path straight. And that doesn't mean that God is going to make you healthy, wealthy, slim, unfortunately, happy, comfortable, popular, or have an easy life. But it does mean that he's going to give us lives that have got direction, purpose, focus, and fulfillment. He's going to guide us through those ups and downs. He's going to transform us, heal us, give us peace and equip us. He's going to speak to us, challenge us, and ask things of us. He's going to ask us to share things, to use our finances for his glory, to use our time for his purpose. And finally, he will lead us home through those gates of heaven where we'll finally meet him face to face. He will make our paths straight. What more could we ask for? What more? Could we ask for?